Well, I hope you've been encouraged this morning. Uh, Melinda, thank you for your baptism testimony, your baptism. Wonderful, so encouraging. I love the part at the beginning where she talked about how in a song, God just broke through into her life as we were singing together. What a beautiful part. It should be encouraging to us all, but especially our worship team, just how God works in the midst of uh, our singing. And then I've been encouraged by today. And then last Sunday, I thought, well, I'm still encouraged by last Sunday. Our youth service, just so good. So many good things about that. So many of you commented on that. And as you think about these different things, this is in some ways why we gather on Sunday, why we come together as a church to encourage one another. Some of you are watching online now in all sorts of odd places. And why are you doing that? Because you want to be a part you want to be encouraged in the Lord and strengthened in your faith. And here's what many of you would say is this, and this is not to in any way diminish what happens on Sunday. Many of you would say, but Sunday's not enough. I need to gather during the week. And I just heard the stats this week that over 60% of adults at Harbor are involved in a discipleship group during the week. And we praise God for that. And we go to discipleship groups for many different reasons, but certainly one reason is to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged in our faith and motivated to keep moving forward. And, and then I know many of you would say it this way. We love Sunday, encourage, love discipleship group, but that's not enough. And so, so many of us would get up early in the morning or find time somewhere during the week or during the day to set aside time and read scripture and pray. And, and here's what you're saying. I just need the Lord. I need him. I need to be encouraged every day. You think of those morning times, none of us go to our morning time or afternoon time, or whenever you meet with God, none of us go to God and say, God, hey, I'm doing pretty good today. You need any encouragement? God, need any help in the world? Anything I can step in and assist you with? You know, we go to those times just totally dependent on God. We're like, God, I, I need you and I need you to work in, in my life. And I was reminded as I was thinking about this, this need we all have to be encouraged in our faith. I was thinking of the uh, the hymn that says it this way, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to you. And many of us know that song we sing that daily. Some of you may be here this morning or watching online, and you're just singing that a little bit more profoundly. There's something going on in your life or in your family, and you're like, Jesus, I just need you. I need you so desperately. And that's sort of the song of your heart right now. And that's why you've gathered together today because you need the Lord. Now, as you hear that intro, you could sort of think this is the way the message is going to fold, you know, play out. There's two groups of people. One group of people who are followers of Jesus and they know that they need him. That would be one group. And then another group of people who aren't followers of Jesus and for whatever reason wouldn't recognize that they need Jesus. Sort of those two categories of people. And that those two categories would be true of different people. But yet this morning we get a third category of a person. And that's what makes this morning's story so interesting. We get a story of nine people who know they need Jesus, who come to Jesus, who Jesus meets their need, and then they don't end up ultimately being followers of him. To use today's language, they don't actually end up being Christians. 
So you get this very interesting category of people. Those that know they have a need, they go to Jesus, he meets the need, but ultimately they don't end up following him. So here's my hope and prayer this morning. As we think about where we might be on the need spectrum. And maybe you're here and honestly, life is good. Someone's brought you to church and you're like, you know, I don't have much need for God. Life is good. I got things figured out. I'm doing quite well. Here's my hope and prayer as we come along to a later point in the message. I just want to sort of clearly say, here's the real need that we all have. Here's what the scripture says of why we each need God. And so my hope and prayer is that you would hear that. Your heart may be open to that. For others of you, you're here this morning and you have a real pressing need. And in some area of your life, and my hope today, as we would look at this story, that you would sense God's compassion and his heart towards you. But then for all of us today, whether need or no need, my hope is that we will all see more clearly of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What it means to live a life of gratitude for all that he has done in our lives. So that's our journey this morning. We're in Luke chapter 17. Sure hope you have your Bibles, open them up, turn them on. It's just a wonderful story. I'll have you follow along. But let me, before we read it together, or before I read it, let me just say a word of prayer and I'll introduce myself and then uh, we'll read the story together. But let me pray first. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power in your word. God, your word says that it does not return void that, God, that you speak to us through your word. And so, God, we pray this morning, God, that your word would accomplish what you desire in our lives, that it would achieve the purposes you have for us as individuals and us as a church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. My name is Jeff Bennett. The privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor, and I just want to welcome our Harbor Online community. We love you. I'm glad you're watching now or at a later time. So in your Bibles, Luke chapter uh, 17, verses 11 through 19. And what I'll do is just read the whole story. I just want you to get a feel of how this unfolds. And then we'll go back and look at three different parts of it. Here's what Luke records in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And may the Lord bless his word this morning. You saw how the story there unfolds. Let me just give you a brief outline. What we're going to see first is Jesus the compassionate, and then Jesus the compassionate one, where he hears, and heals, hears our needs and meets our needs. Then at the end of the story, we're going to see Jesus the Savior. It's personal, Jesus my Savior. So it's from Jesus the compassionate one to Jesus my Savior, but in the middle, we have these words, these verses of personal transformation that sort of moves from one Jesus to the other, to a greater understanding of him. 
So let me just walk through the first part. Jesus the compassionate, look down to verse 11 there. Jesus is traveling on the road. He's going to Jerusalem. We've talked a lot about this. This is Luke's travel log. He's writing this whole section as if to say Jesus is going to be crucified and on this road to Jerusalem as I'm preparing to die, I'm making disciples. And along the way, he comes to this border region between Samaria and Galilee. Again, we know that Samaritans who lived in Samaria did not like the Jews who lived in Galilee, so there's some tension between them. But in this story, he encounters 10 men. 10 men, nine are Jewish, one is a Samaritan. Their leprosy has brought them together, and they have that in common. And as Jesus comes into this village, these 10 lepers are standing at a distance, and they're crying out to Jesus. Here's what Leviticus tells us. If you had a defiling skin disease, you had to do. Here's what it says. You had to, um, you had to wear torn clothes, let your hair be unkept, cover the lower part of your face, cry out, unclean, unclean, and you had to live outside the camp. Five things. These, these men would have been quite a sight to see. Torn clothes, messed up hair, face covered, crying out, unclean, unclean, a distance away. And we know from other places in Jewish literature, they probably would have been at least 50 yards away. So think of where from I'm at here, if you go to the pillars outside those doors there, that's at least how far it would be from Jesus, from these 10 men. So there's quite a distance. They're calling out to Jesus, Jesus, have pity on us have compassion on us. They are praying and hoping that Jesus will hear their need and he will heal them. And they're crying out in this way. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know sort of what happens here, and I read it, that's why I wanted to read it all. You know, one comes back, the other nine don't. Sometimes we're hard on those nine, but let me say one good thing about all 10 of them. At least they're coming to Jesus. At least they're calling out to Jesus. You know, they had to have some level of organization, some level of, hey, let's get together. Jesus is coming on the road. We'll stand here, keep at a distance, follow the protocols, but we're going to call out to Jesus. At least they're doing that, and we should give them credit for that. And then as they're doing that, just imagine the scene, right? There's quite a distance. Here comes Jesus, and they're crying out, have pity on us. And then look what Jesus says in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. Now what Jesus is commanding them to do is something that only a cured leper could do. Again, if you had a defiling skin disease in the Old Testament, you couldn't one day just say, oh, hey, I think I'm better. I'll just go back and integrate in the community. You had to go to the priest and he was like a medical examiner. He had to check and there was a whole protocol to make sure your skin disease was actually cured before you could re-enter the community. And so Jesus is telling them to go and to show themselves to the priest. That's what cured lepers do. Now, two interesting thing, parts about this. This is not what they were expecting. You know, there's Jesus at 50 yards. They're calling out. What's Jesus's first word? Go. They're like, Jesus, we think you have this wrong. This would have been a great moment for Jesus to say this. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Right? It would be great. It would be a great story. That's what they were expecting, I would think. You know, come, or at least Jesus, to move towards them. And Jesus, after they've done all this work to find him, he simply sends them off. You see the risk in that. Jesus, we did all this work to find you, to heal you, for you to heal us, and now you're sending us away. We might never find you again. Right, and he sends them off. But here's the, the second thing as he 
sends them off, then look at what happens. They do do it. And then the second half of verse 14, it says, as they went, they were cleansed. So they have to take a risk. They have to go to the priests. But then as they go there, I'd like to think about how that happened. You know, how far was that? Was that like 10 kilometers? You know, did they turn one corner and all of a sudden, poof, they're just, their skin is all healed, right? All the discoloration is gone. All the, anything that had been disfigured or fallen off is just instantly back. Or did it happen slowly? You know, as they're walking, suddenly they're like, oh, hey, this is looking good. Then you start walking faster and faster, right? You'd be sprinting by the end, right? How did that happen? Well, we're not sure, but we know as they went, as they went, Jesus gets really no credit for this healing that no one sees him do it. Just as they go, as they are following Jesus, they are healed. It's a wonderful picture. Now, let me teach, let me say two things we learn about this healing, how Jesus heals. One is this, Jesus heals people in different ways. Jesus heals different people in different ways. We did this story on Good Friday, Luke 5.13. The first leper Jesus heals in the book of Luke. This leper breaks all the protocols, comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and says, Jesus, please heal me, please cleanse me. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. There's no story in the Bible of anyone ever reaching out and touching a leper. It's a wonderful picture of what Jesus does for this leper in Luke chapter 5. And he totally and completely heals him. It's a great story. And if you're these lepers, you would have heard of that story. You're like, Jesus, this is how it's supposed to work. We're, you're supposed to come. We're supposed to come to you. You're going to touch us. You're going to be healing and it's all going to be great. But yet what we're reminded of here is Jesus works in different people's lives in different people's way. And sometimes we can think, Jesus, I want you to heal me just like you worked in their lives. Jesus, this is how it works. This is the path we're on. And Jesus works differently in different people. But here's the second thing I learned about Jesus's healing of us. His healing involves us taking a step of faith. That's what they had to do. They had to trust in Jesus. They had to obey his word. They had to take a step and leave him and go on their journey. And as they went, they were healed. Now, we have to be clear here about this. This story is not teaching that if you obey Jesus, he blesses you. As if in some ways, they earned the healing. Hey, we obeyed, and so, hey, we did this good, and so, Jesus, now you have to heal us. We deserve the healing. That's not what it's teaching. It's teaching that they put their trust in him, and as they went, God gave them a gift of grace. They didn't deserve to be healed. They didn't earn the healing. But just as they put their trust in what Christ said and went on their way as they took Jesus at his word, he met them and healed them. For some of you here this morning, you might be in the midst of huge relational stress. There's a relationship or series of relationships where it's painful, there's conflict, there's estrangement. It's just really complicated. You've got a prodigal son or daughter or parent in your life and they've wandered away and you just feel like no one really understands you know people will give you advice and and you appreciate that but it's like does anyone really hear and know what's going on for others of you you're just in a stage in life where you're alone you know you're living on your own you're divorced you're a single parent and whatever you sort of look around of other people the same age as you, and you're like, you know, life is good for them. They've got people around them, but I'm all alone and the burden is heavy. And you may say, does anyone really truly understand what I'm going through? And then for others of you, some of you are dealing with grief. 
You've been widowed. Someone you love has died. And there is the sorrow and the depth that sort of fills your heart. There's a loneliness there. And you know other people are empathetic, but yet they don't truly understand the depth of the loss that you are going through. But whatever our need is, wherever we sense Christ in our lives, here's where we come to this story. As these 10 cry out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us, have pity on us. Jesus hears their cries. He heals their hurts. And this should be a wonderful encouragement to all of us this morning. Come to Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden. He offers comfort. He offers help. He offers healing for all of us. Won't you come to him? And what's so wonderful about this story is that all 10 get healed. Now, Jesus knows only one is actually going to come back and be a true follower. Isn't that fascinating? He knows only one out of 10 is going to come back, but all of them take a step of faith, trust Jesus and take them, take him at his word and he heals all 10 of them. That's how good our God is. That's how compassionate and how gracious he is. Many of you know or uh, my respect for AA or for NA, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. And we have a number of people at Harbor who attend those, um, those, those groups and gatherings. And I love talking to you and hearing about your journey. I often say to anyone who asks me, if you meet a friend who goes to AA, go with them to one meeting. And people always say, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I, I couldn't go to that. And I'm like, no, I understand that, but it's well worth going. Because you learn so much about there, about community. You learn about the depth of our need and about coming around each other. It's a wonderful experience to go to if you have a chance to go once. And if you're familiar with the, the big book or the big blue book that they use in AA, you know the journey of Bill and Bob. And what happened there is they came to Christ. Bill came to Christ. He was transformed by him. And as he worked out the principles, that, the principles of AA that are based in the Christian gospel, his life was transformed. And here's what we know about AA or NA, that anyone that follows those principles, that anyone that moves towards Jesus in that way and lives out the heart of them, they are transformed. They are set free. As some of you know, uh, we go out every Wednesday and every other Saturday morning. We go out to share the gospel, offer to pray for people, offer to share the gospel with people. Sometimes we knock on doors, sometimes we're, we're downtown. And so about eight days ago, I was downtown St. Catharines, came across a, uh, a gentleman probably in his mid-30s, dressed nicely. Uh, and as I approached him and asked if I could pray for him, he just very openly and very vulnerably shared about his drug addiction. If you were to look at this man, you would not think that would have been his story. He didn't present that way. He told me where he lived downtown and sort of about his career and all those kind of things. But he would not have, have presented that way. But he shared in such a real and authentic way about the struggle he was having with drug addiction. And again, sometimes when we're out meeting strangers, this, this happens almost every time. You feel like God has gone before you. He's prepared the person for you. And so I prayed with him, shared the gospel with him. After I was done sharing the gospel, he knew exactly the heart of the gospel. He had heard it before. He repeated it back to me. He knew how significant that this encounter was, and he knew what God was calling him to do. It was a wonderful encounter there with him. And so after he finished talking, then I told him a story of Peter and Andrew from Mark 1. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him, it says in the Bible that Peter and Andrew immediately left everything and followed Jesus. 
And I told him that story and I said, Jesus still does this today. He still calls people to leave everything and immediately follow him. And that's the moment in the conversation where the rubber hit the road for him. And then I don't even remember what he said next, but I do know it was an excuse. He had an excuse on why he could not do that immediately, why he could not follow Jesus, and he explained that to me. Now, you have to understand, I don't remember his excuse, and that that does happen, but it was just such a moment where I felt that God was so in the conversation, I just looked at him, and here's what I said, you know I'm right. You know I'm right. You know that God sent me here to tell you this message, that you need to leave everything and follow him. And he looked at me like he knew I was right, that God had provided that moment. And so then for him to take a first step, then I said to him, I said, hey, give me your number. Let's get together and we'll do another Bible study together. He sort of knew exactly what I was doing, right? I'm going to get his number. I'm going to hold him accountable. Let you and me together walk towards Jesus. I thought that was a good line. Good challenge, good line. He knew I was right. Give me your number. It's like a chess game. Then he countered. Here's what he said. He said, well, let me take your number. It was a good move. It's a good move, right? <laughs> you know what he's doing. I knew what he was doing. We all knew what he was doing. So I said, no problem. So then he got out his phone. He put my number in there. We made sure we got it right and everything. Then after he was done there, I said to him, "Is my counter move now. Just give me a call so I make sure I get your number. You know, just give me a call. And at that moment, he knew what I was doing. <laughs> and he wagged his finger at me with a big smile. And he said, I like you. And I know what you're doing. <laughs> he never did give me his number. Uh, And I said to him after that, I said, it's no coincidence that God sent me here to have this conversation with you. God ordained this conversation for you to hear this message. And my my hope is that you would decide to follow him. He had my number. I told him other ways that he could get in touch with me. There's some places downtown where people know me and can direct them back to me. Have not heard from him. But yet I leave that encounter encouraged. Why? Because I feel like I was in the right place at the right time, and I feel like I did all I could to move him towards Jesus. And if you were to meet him, he would probably, I think, in all honesty, he would say the same. I tried to say, hey, let's together take a step towards Christ and the healing he has for you. And I felt good about that conversation. But in the same way, this is my heart this morning. If you are here and you have a need, a place where you need God's healing and help in your life, here's what you can say. Here's what you can say in your heart. Well, yeah, but it's got to be this way, not this way. And you know what the next step is. And you're like, God, I don't like that step. I want to do this step. But God's saying, no, this is the way you need to go. Or you can say this. Okay, God, if you heal me, then I'll take a step of faith. And this story doesn't work that way. They have to first start walking. And as they're walking, the healing occurs. And so that's my heart for each one of you today. As you have a need in your life, can I just do all I can to say, let's just start walking towards Jesus. Can we walk with you? Can the person you came with you walk with you? Can you find someone to walk with you? But let's you take a step towards Jesus. He hears, he knows your need, and he is there to meet them. And so that's the first part of the story. Jesus, the compassionate one, for all 10, all 10. 
the healing of Jesus is available to. But then we see the middle part, the, the transformation part. Look down to verse 15. Something happens here. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. What you see there, and this verse is in the NIV, you see five things this man did. You sort of see the order. I checked some other versions. It's always the same order. And this order really helps us understand what was happening in this man's heart, in his life. See what it says first? What happened first? He saw. He saw that he was healed. Now, now they all saw that he was healed. But this man begins to see at a deeper level. He begins to see that his healing, God's grace in his life, is an invitation to something deeper. An invitation to someone greater. And God opens his eyes. And he begins to see that there is more happening in this moment. More going on. I read this week that at times in our lives, we attribute the blessings in our lives to secondary causes rather than to God himself. We attribute the good things in life to secondary causes rather than to Jesus. So if someone says, hey, you've been successful, you say, you know, yeah, I've always had a strong work ethic. Someone says, hey, you've managed your money well. You say, yeah, I've always learned to be generous and save. Someone says, you've got good relationships. You say, oh yes, uh, I've always learned it is good to invest in relationships. Someone says, oh, you've got real freedom or real joy in your life. And you say, oh yeah, my parents really passed on that value. Now, all of those things are true. I'm not discounting them, but they're all secondary causes. Ultimately, all those things that you have in your life is a result of God's work in your life. And here in this story, 10, God has been compassionate to, he's been gracious to, he's healed, but only one truly sees. Only one sees that it is God that has, done, that has been gracious and good to him. And let me tell you, when we see this, when you see that all of life is a gift, that we don't deserve it, it's just the grace and mercy of God, what do we do? The same thing this man did. See what he did next? He came back. He returned. He turned around. He repented. However you want to say it. But when we recognize, when we see what God has done in our lives and it's all grace, what do we do? We turn, we change direction. And then what happens next? This man is doing two things. He's praising God and he's kneeling at Jesus' feet. It's a picture of worship and it's a picture of surrender. And this is our journey when we realize all of life is grace. And when we see that, we change our course and we say, God, I just want to do nothing but worship you and fall at your feet and surrender to you. I realize I don't deserve anything, but you have been so good for me, to me. It's God's grace and mercy that melts our hearts. It's God's grace and mercy that we just surrender to. And then what happens fifth is he thanks Jesus He's grateful for what God has done in his life. Now, if you've been around church, and I may have taught this story, but, but you certainly probably heard this story taught this way, and it's, it's the minor theme, but it should, if it's ever the major theme, it's wrong. The minor theme could be, don't be like the nine, but be like the one, right? Be thankful instead of, or be thankful like the one and not like the nine. If you've only ever heard it that way, the only thing you've heard is a good moral lesson, which is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is this, when we are not thankful, 
It's because we have forgotten or not walked this journey. We have not seen God's grace in our lives. We've not seen his mercy. We have not just seen his undeserved blessing. We've forgotten. We focused on secondary causes and not God as the primary cause. So think back over your last two weeks. I think this will be quite easy to identify. Where did you complain? Where did you grumble? Where were you negative? Where might I even say you were a little whiny? You got a spot? I think it's fairly easy for us to identify. If not, just think back over your last set of emails, conversations you've had, text messages you've sent out. Can't we all identify a place in our lives where we were less than thankful, where we were ungrateful, whiny, complaining, however you want to talk about it? Now, I'm not saying this morning that the issue that you were upset about is not exactly, you're not exactly right. I, I, I'll give you that. If you tell me afterwards, well, I was upset about this, or I was whiny, complaining about this, I'm going to agree with you that you see it right. But I'm not talking about the issue, I'm talking about your spirit. And when we see a spirit of ingratitude, spirit of negativity, of complainingness, seek into us, it just means we've forgotten that all of life is grace, that we deserve nothing from God. And then it's all a gift of him. And that's why this man is so thankful. It's a result of him seeing the work of God in his life. Some of you know, three and a half years ago, I traveled to West Africa to a country named Guinea. Uh, when I went there, I had never heard of Guinea. I Googled it, you know, find this little country in West Africa. It, there's, a whole, there's a whole little group of small little countries there. And since then, Harbor has, uh, has brought on a, a ministry partner, a lead out partner named Wilmot. He's planted churches all across Guinea and also seeking to reach uh, into the surrounding countries. Guinea is a country that is less than 1% Christian. So if you think about places that we want to go as a church and spread the gospel where no one else has been, Guinea's about as close as you get to that in this world today. And so I'll be going in January again. We'll be leading a pastor's conference for all of the pastors, also key leaders from other countries, hoping coming to train them and develop them and send them back to multiply the gospel. But let me say this about Guinea. If you Google any list of poorest countries in the world, Guinea will make that list. I heard yesterday that of the two countries in Africa that gets the least tourist visitors, Guinea is one of those two. And with no disrespect to Guinea, and this is what I do love about Guinea, it's a hard place to go to. It's a hard place. The ministry there is hard. And just because of the poverty and all that goes on in that country. I'll illustrate that in two ways. One is I got a text this week from Wilmont. He's getting the conference site ready. You'll see on the side screens, you'll see how they're getting the conference site ready. They're building a toilet for us. So 50 pastors and us, and we're going to have a toilet. And I said, praise God that the toilets will be ready. <laughs> now, again, if you're like me, that raises all sorts of questions. What were they using before <laughs> that happened? What is this toilet really going to be like? There's all of those things. And let me say this, when I come back from Guinea, I will never be so thankful for the toilet in my home. <laughs> As I, yeah. And then when I was there three and a half years ago, we stayed at a hotel and um, we were, there was a few guests there, but we, because we were there 10 days. We really got to know the hotel staff fairly well. And so we did every night, we'd come back, you know, before the sunset, get in there so it would be safe. And then we'd eat at the dining hall in the hotel. And there wasn't many people there. 
And so uh, the first night we were there, we were like, oh, what's the menu? And they said, oh, well, you can have chicken and chips, chicken and french fries. I said, oh, that's great. He said, what else is on the menu? They said, we've got two other choices for you. You can have chicken or you can have french fries. <laughs> that was the entire menu. You could either have the combo package or you could have them individually. We decided we would go with the combo package just for the sake of we were hungry. That was all the dining hall served. And so day two, day three, day four, day five, we had chicken and french fries. By about day six, we, had, we were doing little Bible studies with some of the staff. Siddiqui was the waiter, Abel was the cook, and I said to Siddiqui, is there any chance we could get anything else for the meal? And he said, oh, you're not happy with the food. I said, no, we're happy, it's good. It was really just mediocre, but I didn't want to say that. You know, it, it's good, we're happy, but just we'd like a little variety. And he said, I don't think we could do that. I said, well, I'll give you some money. You just walk down the street and find anything and buy it and bring it back here and I'd be glad to eat it. And he didn't think that was a good idea at all. And so finally, after all sorts of encouragement, he determined, he said, we'll make you something different for, the, for supper tomorrow night. We were like, great. So we come to the dining hall, we sit down, they bring out the food and it did look slightly different. So we were like, and he said, it's fish. We're like, oh, great fish. This will be nice, different than chicken, still French fries. So we got half variety. So then we started eating this, and I said to my friend, I said, does this, what does this taste like to you? He said, this tastes like chicken to me. <laughs> I said, yeah, so it tastes like chicken to me too. <laughs> so we ate a little bit more, and we were pretty sure it was chicken. <laughs> so then we said to our waiter, we said, Siddiqui, it's chicken. He said, oh no, it's fish. We were like, just because it looks different doesn't mean it's a different meat. So still to this day, I'm not really sure what happened in that moment. I'm not really sure whether I just had lost all sense of taste because I'd eaten chicken so much that it really was fish and I couldn't tell, or that they just didn't want to offend us. And so they said they're making something different when it was really, and they just made it to look different, but it was still chicken. I'm still not exactly sure, but that was my journey there in that hotel dining hall. Later on in the week, there was a little group of people gathering and they had a lunch and they made some rice for lunch. We were like, can we have that? Just make that for us. And so we did get one meal of variety. But let me tell you, when I come back from Guinea, I am so thankful. So thankful for all that we have here, for toilets, for variety in a menu and all sorts of things. And that's sort of just what takes place on the, you know, on the sort of the, the conveniences of life. But as you would think about your own spiritual journey, where you maybe were ungrateful or unhappy this week, let me just remind you this. God created you. Jesus loved you. He died for your sins on the cross, and you will spend eternity with him. And if that's all there is, if there's nothing more, that's enough to be grateful for. And we in North America have so much else to be grateful for. And when you see that, it just puts it in perspective. Now, I said when we started, I'd come back to the real need. What's the real need of the gospel? Because even if you're in a, if you're in a good place, you're like, I don't have any pressing needs. I'm not like these 10 men crying out to Jesus. What's the real need of the gospel? Well, here's what we learn here, is that when we attribute things to secondary causes rather than to God himself, it's like we live an ungrateful life. It's that we, in some ways, give ourselves credit for our lives rather than God. In some ways, it's like we're elevating ourselves above God. The first commandment is this. You shall have no other gods before me. 
And we so often say, I've done this, I've done that. We put something first over God. We refuse to give God the praise that he rightly deserves. And what could be a worse sin? What could be a worse offense to God than stealing his glory, stealing his honor, stealing his praise? And so the real need of our lives is that we have, worship, we have not worshipped God and we've elevated other things above him. We have broken the first commandment where he says, have no other gods before me. And what's interesting about this story is nine out of ten people don't even see it. Did you see that? Nine out of ten didn't even see it. They were healed and just carried on with their lives. God, you bless me. Things are good and I'm just moving on. And they just missed it. And so this morning, I hope my prayer is that we would all see the real need of our lives. And the real need is that we have done something. We have sinned against God. We've stolen his glory and honor and praise. And he, as God opens our eyes, he invites us to come back to him, to surrender to him, to give our lives to him and confess that sin. And he forgives that and makes us whole. That's the moment of transformation in this story. That's the moment where this man's eyes is open and he sees the reality of his life in other, the world and he comes back full of a heart for God. So Jesus, the compassionate, a moment of personal transformation. And now we see Jesus, my savior at the end. Look down to verse 17 through 19. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. It's a wonderful story of two outsiders. It's a double outsider here. He's a leper and he's a foreigner. But yet in both of those, he's the one who understands the message of God. He's the one who understands God's heart. Melinda so appreciated the way you said it today. Jesus is my savior, my forgiver. I've invited him into my life. My only hope is Jesus. You said it so well. Thank you. And Jesus looks at this man. Look what he says. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, the leper's response could have been, hey, I already am well. I've been healed. I don't have leprosy anymore. But you see, something much deeper is happening here. He's been made whole. His sin has been forgiven. He's in right relationship with God through Christ. And see, here's what we've seen over and over again about Jesus. People loved him for his healings. People loved him because he fed. People loved him because he delivered them from what oppressed them. And they had the hope of the Roman government, him leading them out from that oppression. But so often people refuse to acknowledge Jesus as God and worship him. They were content with the superficial, temporary blessings, content with God's common grace all in their lives. But this man is different. He said, Jesus, I want to know you in a personal way. And what matters more than anything is knowing you and being at your feet. And I pray this morning that God would create that heart cry in us. As we see his great grace in our lives, may we be the sort of people that come and fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, what I want to know is just you. No matter what else is happening in life, Jesus, I need you and that is enough. Let me pray for us this morning.
Father, we thank you for the two miracles in this story. God, you heal 10 people of their leprosy. It's amazing. And we praise you, God, for that great miracle. But, oh, God, we praise you for the second miracle here, too, with for the one where you open his eyes and he sees all that's going on, sees your great grace, and we see this moment of surrender of a story of two miracles. And so, God, as we think of our own lives, God, pray for the person here today, God, whose eyes you might open to the real need of their lives, to the real sin of their heart. And, oh, God, I pray, Lord, that even now in the quietness of their heart, they might come to you, surrender to you, God, feel um, as they would feel a conviction of sin, they might feel your forgiveness. And then, God, for the rest of us, Lord, God, who know this moment where you opened our eyes, oh, God, just help us to continue to be reminded of your grace, so much grace you've given us in our lives. And God, help us, Lord, as we would see that to live grateful lives. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. We always uh, close our service with four words. And so in a moment, I'll invite you to stand. I say, Harbor, we are sent, but I usually have a Harbor, we are sent slide. And so what you'll see on the side screens is a picture from this Wednesday when we were out sharing the gospel with people, 14 of us this week, we had a good week, but that's not actually what I want to tell you about. What I'm praising God for is the prayer team that has been raised up. So now every Wednesday, some are going out and some are praying. And if you ask me which is more important, oh, they both are so crucial. And I'm so glad we have both. So there's a prayer group here on Wednesday, WhatsApp chat, where you can pray for us as we go out on the harvest. And we are coveting those prayers. Let me just also remind you as we go, um, there's probably someone around you, you don't know their name. And so after we dismiss, would you just ask them their name, introduce yourself. Uh, lots of new people here every week and we wanna make sure we're greeting everyone. Let me just invite you to stand. We've been reading from Romans 12, verses one and two just as a way of reminding us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And let me read these words and then we'll go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Harbor, we are sent.